Amen. All right. Uh, with, look with me now in John chapter 6, verses 60 to 71. God's word reads this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning of those who were, uh, or those who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, "This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father." After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, "Do you want to go away as well?" And Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, Over the last three Sundays, we've spent time uh, watching Jesus' interaction with the crowd of over 5,000 people. There's 5,000 men that we read earlier, so we can estimate and assume there's upwards of 9,000 to 10,000 people following him. Uh, You will recall that Jesus was out teaching um, in previous chapters as a large crowd followed him as he was healing people. Uh, We looked at Jesus then take or takes compassion on the crowd when he saw how hungry they were becoming. And as he was performing miracles, he decided to feed the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread and two fish. He then left the crowd. He was tired, leaves the crowd, gets in a boat, and crosses over the waters to the other side. But the crowd still followed him as well. This large group of people continued to follow after him, and they crossed in their boats to the other side, or they made the journey to the other side some way or another. Um, to hear more from Jesus. And so Jesus began to teach last week we looked at about how he offers life. He's the bread of life. He is the Christ. Uh, And so when we look at verse 60, when we see many of his disciples heard it, what was it? It was the message we looked at last week that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Feast on my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, And they saw that and that's where they had difficulties. Uh, Keep in mind, this interaction with the crowd has only spanned roughly a day or two. We've had the privilege of being able to examine and dissect this sermon of Jesus and this miracle that he performed over the past three to four weeks. Um, But for the people, this was one day or two days of close interaction with Jesus. And so today, as we pick up in chapter six, we're going to see two things. We see one, the conclusion of this sermon that Jesus has been preaching to the people. And then two, we're going to see the result and the response of his teaching. Uh, And this response, again, is going to come immediately after Jesus says, drink my blood, eat my flesh. And we ask, you know, what what are the responses to this difficult teaching? Uh, We saw last week again, uh, there's this greater crowd already wrestling with these questions, with these uh, statements Jesus makes. There's this crowd of 9,000. We then see disciples of Jesus... Uh, as well. Jesus had more than the 12 disciples. Uh, If you look in the gospel of Luke, you will see that Jesus commissions and sends out 70 of his disciples uh, to preach and proclaim his name. And I believe only the 12 return. Um, But we see within the crowd of 9,000, 
there is the disciples, and within the disciples, there's the 12. So when we read that the disciples are leaving uh, and turning away, don't think that that is referring to Peter, James, John, uh, Matthew, and all of them. Uh, They are still locked in as well. A good comparison to this would kind of be looking in your own lives. Uh, you have, as far as, you know, Jesus has the crowd. You would have what I would call like, like your Facebook friends. Uh, they're people you maybe don't talk to as much. I have a lot of Facebook friends. They're just my mom and dad's friends that I maybe spoke to once. Or a lot of people like, oh, I knew you as a baby. And I'm like, cool. Uh, and so uh, I don't, not to be rude, but I don't know you. And so, um, and so I, but I, you know, oh, we have five mutual friends. I'll accept that. You know, they, we have interactions, but it's at a very distant way. It's always through a screen. So that's Jesus in the crowd. Uh, in that, Jesus has the disciples, this larger group of people who've been kind of following him. That's kind of your local context, maybe your work friends, your neighbors, um, people that you get to hang out with, you know, on occasion, once every month or so. Uh, and then within that, Jesus has his 12 disciples. This is his core group of guys. This is his friend group. So with you, you have your intimate friends and family, people you spend a regular time with, uh, with me specifically, I have a group of five guys. We have a group chat together. We all went to college uh, together. We were all groomsmen in a wedding a couple years ago. We just call ourselves the boys. Uh, my buddies, they're Chase Carter, Jonathan Wade, Matthew Lively, Austin Lasso, and Colt Rasmussen. Now, these are my guys. We've gone through life together. Uh, we celebrate in each other's successes and mourn in our uh, grieving and uh, in our losses. Uh, we've done life together. With these people, uh, that is like Jesus's twelve disciples. There, uh, that's like me and the boys. So, kind of putting your uh, own spin on that, we see that kind of taking here. So, again, when we read disciples leaving, I don't want us to think that the twelve is abandoning uh, Jesus. That would be uh, incorrect. And so, uh, we see here uh, with that out of the way, just kind of giving you that caution. There, uh, we look again. We're going to see different responses to Jesus's teachings. Uh, as they begin to wrestle with Jesus talking about he has the keys to eternal life. He offers eternal life. And Jesus concludes his sermon here in John 6. He ends by pointing us towards the work of eternal life in all three members of the Trinity. And that's what we're going to spend our time looking at this morning. Our main idea, each member of the Trinity works together to bring about eternal life. Each member of the Trinity works together to bring about eternal life. Uh, eternal life is not a concept that is new to a longtime believer. If you, like me, who grew up in the church, you were taught at a very young age that you will have eternal life with Jesus. Uh, it is something promised to us throughout the Bible, and it's something we look forward to at the end of our lives. Uh, however, for those of you who have questions about eternal life, salvation in Jesus Christ, questions about freedom from guilt and sin, This message this morning is for you. We're going to talk about eternal life. However, again, as for those of you who are seasoned believers in this room who may dismiss my words immediately because, well, Nate, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I don't, I know about eternal life. This is nothing new. I'm not learning anything more. This has nothing to offer me. Uh, This is for you as well. Uh, We never move past the gospel of Jesus Christ We never move past the idea of eternal life with him. Pastor C.J. Mahaney quotes, you may have heard this before, we never move on from the cross. We only get a more profound understanding of the cross. And it's my aim this morning in this room to give you, if you are a believer of X amount of years, 
uh, to give you a more profound understanding and better appreciation for the eternal life that you already possess. To give praise and worship to God for giving you this gift. And if you are an unbeliever in this room or have doubts or questions, I hope you will be enriched in this as well. Something we need to understand as well when we look at the Trinity, when we look at eternal life, is that eternal life is not a gift exclusively given to us from Jesus. As if God is angry with us, he's mad at us, and God's out to get us, and at the last possible minute, Jesus stepped in and took that bullet on our behalf. Uh, That is incorrect. A lot of people come to know the Lord with that false understanding that God the Father is angry and hates me. But thank goodness there's the Son, and then they only in turn will pray to the Son, neglecting the Spirit and neglecting the Father, the other two equal members of the Trinity. You cannot detach the teachings of Jesus from the teachings of the Father or the Spirit. All are unified in the same person. So Jesus loves us, that means God the Father loves us, so on and so forth. And so Jesus points here in this conclusion that eternal gift acts as a thing that all three members of the Trinity come together to do. Uh, So we're going to look at each member of the Trinity. What do they do in the terms of eternal life? So our first main point is going to be the Father grants eternal life. Uh, We're going to bounce around the passage too today. Uh, We're going to go Father, Son, Spirit. And so that's going to kind of take us to different parts in the section. We're not going to go straight through as we normally would. Uh, So just to forewarn you. So first point, the Father grants eternal life. Look with me again at just verse 65. And he, being Jesus, said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Um, Again, the concept of eternal life and salvation from sins uh, is not something that should catch a believer off guard. We know about eternal life if we've read the Bible, if if we're familiar with the Gospels. Um, But we should know that it is a direct and purposeful plan from God the Father. In God the Father's great mercy, love, and holiness, he granted us a way to be united with him forever, eternal life through his Son. Jesus has been testifying to this fact all across the Gospel of John. You will recall a couple weeks ago, John 6, 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This idea that God is giving a people over to Jesus. We'll see a few verses later, John chapter 6, verse 40, looking at the first part of it. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. All penned by Uh, John the beloved disciple as words from Jesus and this same author John will go on years later to write in 1st John chapter 5 verse 11 saying this simply put this is the testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son God from eternity past has granted us access to him through eternal life he built this idea to happen. This is the greatest act of mercy that has ever been displayed on earth, and there will never become a second. Because understand this, God in his righteousness and in his holiness could have decreed from eternity past that we would die in our sins with no hope of redemption and eternal life. He could have done that. He could have said, no, you've made your bed, sleep in it. And the angels would have praised God for this. 
They would have rejoiced over God for his righteousness and his justice. However, God has offered us salvation from our sins. He has allowed us to be in right standing with him. This is a merciful act, the great riches of his grace and mercies, given us the best gift we could ever want. Unmerited favor, the miracle at Calvary, salvation through the name of Jesus Christ, and all of our sins are forgiven. We gain eternal life. God did not owe us anything, but he granted us access to this. Jesus says that no one comes to God unless first granted by God. You and I, so what does this mean? That means you and I did not wake up one summer morning and just decided to, you know, I'm done. I'm not going to sin anymore. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. No, it was God glorifying himself by drawing us in ever so slowly, granting us access to him, and over time, drew us in to the fold. I was granted the right to have eternal life and forgiveness from my sins so that God gets all the glory and I don't get any of the glory so that I may not become arrogant or prideful. Look at that person over there who's sinning and a sinner. They know better. What an idiot. I, on the other hand, accepted Christ. I knew where I stood and I have the wisdom in myself to understand that I shouldn't be doing that. Now, we don't say those words, but that can easily come across in our hearts. Man, just look at that person. If they were just smart enough to understand the error of their ways. No, no. That's me being arrogant and prideful. God gets all the glory. God granted me salvation. God granted me eternal life. So I have no room to boast. Because I'll tell you what, there is nothing in me that I see that God said, that's the one I want. Uh, Because I sometimes am a horrible person. (laughs) Paul even writes in the letter to the church in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Listen to this. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. But it is a gift of mercy and a gift of grace that we have been given this because, again, we ourselves have collectively and willingly put our heads in the guillotine. We have placed our head willingly and with a smile on our face on that chopping block. And yet God says, no, I want you to have access to eternal life through my son. And so we praise God for this, that I did not earn it, that I did not read enough of my Bible. I didn't take the test, if you will, and passed, but that God graciously gave it to me. And I have no room to boast. No one comes to God unless it has been granted to him. Moving on, we see, we look at Jesus, the Son. The Son proclaims eternal life. Jesus, the Son, proclaims eternal life. Look with me at verses 66 to 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed that you have come to know, or that you, we, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. As the crowd and Jesus' disciples begin to disperse because of these difficult things that Jesus has been saying, 
Uh, he kind of turns to his closest friends, the 12. He turns to his, you know, his guys, and he's like, you know, do you want to leave as well? And, and I cannot help but smile each and every time I read verse 68. It's one of my, truly, one of, I know a lot of people say, oh, it's my favorite verse of the Bible, and they, they say it every Sunday, and they're like, you have a lot of favorite verses of the Bible. Uh, this is easily in my top three uh, of favorite verses in the Bible. Is verse 68, Peter saying, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus proclaims. He is the one who proclaims eternal life. He has the words there. He's reminded his listeners constantly of this throughout all of the Bible of that he proclaims it and that he knows his mission and purpose. We see in the Gospel of Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to what? Seek and to save the lost. He knows what he's doing and he, we know, he knows his purpose, and we know his purpose as well. Within Jesus' words and teachings are the keys to eternal life. Jesus came to proclaim salvation through him alone, and this proclamation tells us that God has granted us the ability to attain eternal life. It's through the proclamation of Jesus that Saul of Tarsus is saved on the road to Damascus. And it's through the proclamation of Jesus that Peter is going to say, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And it is through the proclamation of Jesus that you and I are no longer bound by sin and death and stand under condemnation, but instead have eternal life through Jesus. It is through the proclamation of the gospel that there is eternal life found. Later, we will see in time to come, Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came to proclaim it and makes it very clear to us all that eternal life and gaining eternal life is not some mystery locked behind closed doors or it's not something hidden that takes experts decades and years to discover and to figure out and now you get to hear it because we've got the secret knowledge No, it's open to everyone. It's simple and easy to understand that we have to come through Jesus the Son and his proclamations of the gospel in order to be saved. It is easy and it's clear to understand what I must do to be saved and to have eternal life. You can sum it up in one sentence. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This entire sermon of Jesus is in John chapter 6. He's been preaching again to a crowd of upwards of 9,000 people, and it's all centered around him being the source of eternal life. It's only through Jesus and only through his words. He is the bread of life, and he is the living water. He's our ultimate source of satisfaction and only source of eternal life. You cannot gain eternal life without hearing the words and teachings of Jesus We have looked, even a couple weeks ago, Keith, we shared this idea, you have to accept Jesus from who he says he is. We looked at this little quote from C.S. Lewis of, well, maybe he was just a good person. Well, no, you can't accept that as a dangerous thing to say. You have to accept him as Lord. And so we see you have to believe in the teachings of Jesus and believe in Jesus to be saved. That was his message Jesus proclaims eternal life over us even today as he prays on our behalf before God the Father. Jesus sings and prays over you. 
Think about that for a minute. Jesus is singing right now over you. Right now, he stands before Almighty God and prays for you and prays on our behalf. He seeks your spiritual betterment. He seeks you to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. Jesus' mission and purpose did not end with the resurrection. He continues to proclaim eternal life through his written word. Even today, hear the words of Jesus, friends, who came to offer us eternal life. He proclaims eternal life from eternity past to eternity future. Thirdly, we want to look at the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives eternal life. So God grants us eternal life. He grants us the ability to have eternal life. The Son came and proclaims eternal life. And now who gives it to us? The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. Look with me in verses 61 to 63. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I love that Jesus throws in the flesh is no help at all. Your flesh, your body cannot help you gain eternal life. You cannot get eternal life without the spirit inside of you. You cannot go on chasing the world and living according to the flesh and also pursue the spirit. That's not how it works. You will not find eternal life in the world and in the pursuits of the flesh. Once you have made that decision, however, take heart that after you made the decision to follow Jesus, to obey his proclamations, in that instant, you have become a new creation by the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are alive and new in Christ it is through the Holy Spirit inside of you that you are alive. You have been chained from the inside out. And so what a beautiful point that Jesus makes here to the work of the Spirit. The Spirit has given you life. The Spirit has made you alive. The physical cannot save you. The physical cannot save us, only the Spirit, only being born again by the Spirit. You will recall the words of Jesus to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's not enough that you're born and that you do good things. You've got to be born again in the Spirit. You have to accept the proclamation of Jesus. You have to believe in him. Being born of the Spirit changes you completely so that you are a new creation entirely and you have access to the kingdom of of God. And if you doubt that in yourself today, like, well, do I possess that? Christians, why do you hate the things of your past so much? Why do you now grieve the very things your life once consisted of and encompassed entirely? Because the Holy Spirit inside of you has changed you. The sin you so dearly love is the very thing that you wage war on every single day. Why? Because of the work of the Spirit inside of you. If you ever read, I'm a fan of the classics, and so if you ever uh, get a hankering to read Dante's Inferno, uh, then uh, the sequel, Dante's Purgatorio, even better, uh, it, you have Dante and Virgil going up this mountain 
uh, to get into heaven. And Dante becomes very weary, very discouraged. He goes, I just don't think I can do this. And Virgil says, oftentimes a look back will comfort the road ahead. Christian, look back on your life, the things that you were doing before Christ. Look at how you were even five years ago compared to where you are now. Does that not bring you joy and comfort to see the work of the Spirit inside of you? Let me tell you where I was five years ago. Five years ago, I was living with my mentor in Ohio. I was lustful. I was jealous. I was angry. I would stay nights in my room crying my eyes out because I denied the work of God in my life, saying, I see you moving everywhere else, but not in me. I was resentful and I had doubts. Now, I'm not saying I'm cleared of that. I'm not saying I don't struggle with sin anymore. But to see where I was five years ago, to see where I was even before I came here to Louisville and North Bullet, to see where I am now is only through the work of the Spirit of God alive inside of me. And so I ask yourselves, will you do the same thing? Where were you years ago? What did you do that you now hate? In high school, I would call myself a pathological liar now. Uh, I loved lying. I was good at it, and I enjoyed it. And now I can't stand it any time I lie, even unintentional. Even we, we shared in my Wednesday night class, uh, even if I get something wrong on accident, there's a misunderstanding of like, I don't think it's going to rain today, and then it rains. I usually text like, dude, I'm so sorry. I think I lied about that. I didn't know it was going to rain today. Uh, seriously, I grieve any time I may or may not lie. And that, again, is only the work of the Spirit inside me. And I'm going to tell you right now, in five years down the road, when I'm 30 years young, I'm going to look back and say, man, I was so bad back then. And guess what? Five years later, when I'm 35, I'm going to do that. And when I'm 40. And friends, you do the same things. Look at the work of the Spirit inside of you who's given you life, who allows you to wage war on the sins you detest so dearly. Give praise to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit in us will not allow us, here that will not allow us, if we have been born again by the Spirit, not allow us to willingly go on in our pride, in our lusts, in our addictions, in our fornications, in our sexual immoralities, in our hatred, or in our deceit any longer because it has given us life and has given our sins death. There is no room for the flesh in our lives and in eternal life. It is all the Spirit inside of us. Give praise this morning to God, the Spirit, for giving us that life. So our final point today, we see Jesus preaching these words about the Trinity, about himself. Jesus is God, and we see a response is given. We see a response, belief and unbelief. Look with me at verse 66 and skip down to 70 to 71. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And then Jesus answered them, this time to the twelve, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Friends, when you are confronted with eternal life through the proclamation of Jesus, you are required in that instant to give a response. In that moment, you have a choice, belief or unbelief. No one is confronted with Jesus and goes unchanged. It is impossible. We see God telling the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, 
so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will never return void or empty to him. It will accomplish the work in you one way or another. Your heart will be softened or it will be hardened. God's word will never return empty. In this passage specifically, and in this sermon, we and the crowd both are confronted with the same truths. We are being confronted with the work of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the words of Jesus being the bread of life. What choice do we give and what response do we utter now to Jesus? We see many of Jesus' disciples leave in unbelief towards him. And yet we also see the 12 disciples place their trust in him, or rather the 11 disciples, as Judas is going to one day betray him. It is here in this sermon, in these words from Jesus, that I firmly believe that Peter and the rest of the disciples fully accept Jesus as Savior and as the Holy One. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus calms the storm earlier before this miracle, the disciples will ask, well, who is this that even the winds and the seas obey Jesus? They still don't understand But now here in John's account, we see this is the moment that I believe that they believe in Jesus as the Christ. They know he proclaims the words of eternal life. And it is also here that I believe the seeds of temptation and of doubt and of wickedness begin to creep into Judas Iscariot's heart. Jesus knows the results of his word. He knows the results of his mission and words spoken. Jesus knows that his words can be difficult to understand and accept. And and in his divinity, he knows that sin is always knocking on our door. He knows it's knocking on the door of Judas's heart. He knows that Judas will one day betray him. Jesus knows when we are being tempted, and he knows what our responses will be. A passage that I, I love is God, I, I get the idea of God coming alongside of Cain in Genesis. Just be careful. Sin is knocking at your door. You must reign over your sin. He knows that Cain is being tempted. He knows that Judas in this moment is being tempted. So what response will we utter when we are tempted to flee in unbelief from God? Will we believe in the words of Jesus or will we not? And so again, we look at ourselves today, regardless If we possess this eternal life or not, sin will always be knocking on our hearts. Will we open the door to sin or not? What will we do? Do we offer up praises to God the Father for granting us access to him? Do we bless the name of God the Son for telling us and showing us the way? Do we fall and worship God the Spirit for giving us this new and eternal life? Or Do we respond in unbelief, apathy, or lethargy? Do we gaze into the majesty of God, saying like our friend and brother Peter, you have the words of eternal life, Jesus? Or do we respond like Judas and seek to harm the kingdom of God? Friends, you in this moment have to respond to the teaching of God. Regardless of where you are in your life, you have to give a response. Will you continue in belief? Will you stray into unbelief? What will you do?